actually learned something from you. And we've been talking about race for a while. Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we've been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun, and even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family questions that make you want to unfollow. All right, AP, another week, another episode. It's episode three of season two. This week, you wanted to cover a topic nobody's talked about in the last two years. No, I, I haven't read a book, blog post, or heard anyone share any opinions about this topic. So this is going to be new ground for all of us. Why are we still talking about racism? Man, because it won't go away. <laughs> 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 no, I, you know, I think part of our opportunity, right? Let's, I was telling Daryl, even like before we started recording, like, let's have a real talk about race. I've been on panels and we podcast and, you know, I was telling yeah. Daryl, like, you know, some of my highest read blog posts ever were about race. Our highest, yeah. you know, kind of downloaded and listened to episode of this podcast last year was, yeah. was about race. Um, but the conversation doesn't go away. And, you know, and I have a theory Here's my theory, right? Focus group of one. It's not about facts, right? Facts mm. don't change people's minds. It's not a stat yeah. or a blog post or a chart that's going to change someone's mind about race in either direction or in yeah. any kind of vein. It's about our feelings, right? And I think, I hope that this episode, I'm going to be out front. I'm going to have say I have an agenda. My agenda is not to change anyone's mind, but I do want to change your fight. Because I think in the... um battle to change minds and hearts and be right we're losing a fight and we're fighting for like each other we're fighting for our future we're fighting mm -hmm. for our children we're fighting for our yeah. faith um yeah. and i think in this battle to try to be right we're we're, we're all losing and so i'd say mm. this conversation is an opportunity to really take a, a really big step back and really you know even if you don't want to change at least you'll listen so that's that's my hope yeah. So help me define racism to begin with. You know, there's a technical definition of it, which yeah. I'm happy to read, but help me define it as you understand it. Yeah, I'd say, you know, the way I always talk about racism, really, racism is uh, prejudice with power, right? So we all have biases, right? Our brain is wired, hardwired to uh, have shortcuts. So we all like make decisions based on a bias, but those biases allow us to prejudge a person, that becomes prejudice. So now I'm assigning a negative value to a group from an experience with a person, right? So that's prejudice, I'm prejudging you. But now when that prejudice has power, that's racism. So racism is not somebody called me the N-word down the street, that's racist, but racism, right? The ism refers to the actual structure, the systems of racism that, you know, it's, it's power plus prejudice. And so, you know, a person, that is racist or has a racist idea, just a person that supports a racist idea or a racist policy. And that definition, right? We all have racist tendencies, black people, white people, Hispanic, brown, yellow, red, white, doesn't matter. We, we all have racist mm -hmm. ideas and we all play a part in not only confronting racism, but also in helping 
our brothers, our sisters, and ourselves be less racist. Um, it's not a survey. It's not you're racist or you're not. It's a spectrum, right? right. There are gradients of it. And so that, that's mm -hmm. it. it's prejudice plus power, but it's about the systems and how we attack or attach to them uh, that really defines where you are you know, on that scale. Your classic definition of racism deals with the belief that certain races have certain capabilities yeah. or they're not capable of doing certain things. How is that different from a stereotype? It's different. So stereotype, right? The word stereotype comes from the, uh, you know, print is a, a print mechanism, right? Stereotype men to make the same uh, print, right? It's almost like a print press. And so stereotype really means, uh, all right, Daryl wears yellow. All white guys wear yellow, right? Stereotype. So I've, I've taken one thing and I've, I've replicated that idea. Um, but I think what happens with like racism and prejudice, right? We assign those values. So now um, I'll, I'll give a, a real world example, right? So in this episode too, I want to get as much out of the academic or theoretical and let's just get real, right? So um, we, I had someone come over uh, to... Um, uh, do some AV work. So we, we had, uh, you know, our TV and our master bedroom mounted and we had some kind of AV work done. Right. And I went out of my way to like find a black guy to do it online. And I remember he was supposed to show up at like four o'clock. Right. Um, it's like three 30. He texts me, Hey, I'm in Dallas, but Hey, I might be a little late for four 30 an hour later. Right. He's like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to make it today. This job's lasting way too long. He's like, look, like, can we reschedule for tomorrow? It's like, oh. I mean, I guess. Okay, cool, whatever, right? So that night, I'm like, see, I give a brother a chance, right? Black people, <laughs> like, right, right? So I, I was like, I'm gonna give me a black guy to come hang my TV, yeah. right? And then now I'm like, oh, well, he's late or he, he missed his schedule. And now we got to do it a day later. Now I've taken this, the notion that someone being late or delayed or having a reason or an excuse, right? Mm -hmm. I've taken this negative mm -hmm. uh, value, this negative judgment and assigned it to the race. Yeah. And it's my race, like we're, we're the same race, right? Yeah. Um, whereas I've had some terrible white contractors. In fact, me and my wife, you know, I mean, I think we kind of got borderline sued because of a white contractor. We had the guy that did our pergola um, just flake out on us and cost us all kind of money. I mean, I've had horrible experiences with white contractors. And guess what? I've never said, man, those white people. I've always said that guy, Brandon is horrible. I've said that guy, Brent, I would never recommend him. Yeah. I've allowed the crappiest, most horrible white guys to just be individually crappy, but yeah. I don't allow a black person to just be late or make a mistake. And so that's where I think systemic racism and bias starts to become a part of our media entertainment our kids our children so now hey yeah. caleb and chloe in class elementary school they're talking they're active they're dancing around they won't sit down it's black kids right so that starts to happen so now fast forward 20 years that affects education yeah. it affects healthcare. it it affects financial it affects their ability to get loans because we all have these little biases that we don't confront and so yeah. that's how it happens we assign negative values to an entire people group when it's just i should just be saying there are good contractors and there are bad contractors. Yeah, right? that's exactly what I was going to say. kids that yeah. are active. There are kids that are yeah. quiet. There's not yeah. black kids that are bad. There's just kids that need help and have behavior issues, right? 
But yeah. America, we don't see it like that. And that's that's yeah. our biggest opportunity. Well, and I think too, for you, it's hard to separate the things because yeah. you're constantly thinking about them. So what yeah. I mean by that is, is that it's easy to say, man, I hate working yeah. with contractors. They suck, <laughs> right? Yeah. But because you know that it's a stereotypical joke that black folks are usually late, yep. right? Within your own community, you begin to like almost blend together the stereotype of black people's lateness with contractors and yeah. it, it becomes this weird thing, right? So even for you as a black guy, you're like, man, black people are just late, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, no, actually contractors generally get jammed up on another job and they do a terrible job at communicating. Like, honestly, because that's my world now, yeah. I can just speak directly to yeah. a, what it means to be a contractor and other contractors. And what happens is, is they get jammed up, we get jammed up and we don't communicate well with like, oh, hey, I'm behind on this, right? He should have been out a day with this schedule, but instead he's behind and reactionary and what happens is he get lumps in with other contractors because of that poor behavior. But in your mind, he got lumped in with black dudes because yeah. black people are always late. <laughs> yeah. And here's the deal. He did an amazing job. In fact, I mean, he was um, did amazing work. I mean, the price is great. He uh, did it super yeah. fast. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll work with you again. So it turned out to be a great, ex uh... a great experience. Right. And so I think we, I think the bottom line is we all have biases. And I think now in 2021, ignorance is not, um, ignorance is a choice, not a condition, right? I think, yeah. oh, he just didn't know. No, 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 no. Like, there's enough. You could, it's a click away, a Google search away. It's yeah. a conversation away from knowing that like these things exist. So now yeah. I think part of the, the frustration and I think the rage and the anger you're seeing from people groups is that like, we've been telling you this and you're not doing anything about it, right? And, yeah. and so I think people are reaching out for help because they're scared. They're frustrated. Um, yeah. They're, um, you know, they're, they're depressed. They're, they're, they're trying to change things that feel out of their control. And so that's where you yeah. go from a little bias from a, you know, a little job, expand that into a racialized society, right? Because research yeah. shows like unequivocally that black people are the most segregated group in America. Black people are more, more likely to be with black people. No other racial group wants to actually live, work, mm or go to school with black people and most white people, I think the research was almost like 70% of white people in America only have at best one black acquaintance. So 70%. So most white people, right? Majority have one black acquaintance. Not many people have a black friend, right? And so I think yeah. when you have that, a racialized wow. society wow. where we don't talk, we don't really yeah. interact together, not really, and you yeah. allow though that prejudice and that racism to be systemic. Now you've got yeah. entire groups that aren't able to relate. We aren't able to come together and reconcile. We aren't even, yeah. we don't even agree on what racism Gosh. is, right? So I mean. <laughs> yeah. Man, there's so much there to start yeah. like unraveling. Uh, but I want to get back to your AV guy for a minute. Yeah. So let's put me in that situation. So let's say that I've called your black AV guy, not you, I have, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. he calls me and says, hey, I can't be there. He calls me and says, hey, I, I, no show today. I might be there tomorrow. If I think about him negatively because of his race, I would say that that's a racist thought or, or if I was to say it out loud, that would be racist, right? Yeah. Is it racist if you think or say that? Yes. 
So I think it's a racist idea, right? If no matter who says it, when you when you express a racist idea, thought, or support a racist policy through inaction or action, so uh, actively mm. racist because you mm-hmm. you negatively assigned a value to a person right, based on right. their race, right? Um, then that becomes, I think, an an issue. Even if if I say it, so yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I think it's able. I think the difference is. And some of the pushback I got last week is like, you know, I grew up in, around black people and black people can be mm. racist or, you know, I have a, I know people, my, you know, extended family and wife's family, right? They used to work for a uh, pizza delivery, right? So they've delivered pizza in black neighborhoods and they have been treated horribly. I know church members, right? Who, or the white people who got sent to black schools when segregation, uh, desegregation mm. happened, right? And they were treated horribly. So there are people who have, these traumatic experience of like, no, no, no. Like I've been around black people or people who volunteered. I know people who volunteered for hurricane Katrina cleanup and they were like, Oh my gosh, the way I was treated, I went down there to help and people treated me like, and so they have real experiences that are negative. Right. But they've also attached that entire uh, negative, I think label to a race, to a group, et cetera. And now when you meet me, you're not able to really separate, Oh, well, there was people who went through something traumatic in Hurricane yep. Katrina. Yep. Hey, that apartment complex I delivered the pizza to that night, you know, like that was them. This is Adrian. So now, now you're hiring. Mm-hmm. Now you're looking at resumes. Yeah. Now you're a doctor uh, looking at a patient's stats. Now you're a principal deciding the disciplinary protocol for a student. Mm-hmm. Now you're a police officer pulling up, pulling over somebody and saying, hey, what's going on? Like any number of situations, yeah. all those things start because we're not able to see people as uniquely individual. Yeah. And that is so hard to do, if we're honest. It is so oh, yeah. hard to have a negative interaction with a purple who's a person who's purple. And the next yeah. time you see a purple person to not feel yeah. those same things, right? Or yeah. be prepared to feel those same things. Yeah. So this is all good and well racism on an individual level you know, racist behavior, racist thoughts, but how does racism play out on a broader level? Because I think that is where maybe some of the political um, feelings and negative feedback come into play. So how does racism show up on a, on a larger scale? Well, I think it shows up as disparity, right? And I think, you know, there's two words I'm learning to use and I want to dedicate probably a, a podcast to just in the future, just talking about the difference between disparity and deficiency. And we kind of touched on it in one of our earlier episodes, right? So it's like fast forward five, 10, 15 years, right? And those biases, that racism starts to actually show real measurable, observable um, disadvantage to a group, but also show advantage to another group, right? So disparity, right, is that is that gap in advantage or that gap in performance. Now, all disparity isn't injustice, right? Somebody got a job making a million dollars a year. Somebody got a job making 30. There's a disparity in pay, right? But when that overwhelmingly, the people who are doing lower wage, less protected jobs or of a group, you ask yourself, well, why are they only able to get these jobs? And why are all the people at this income level on the board, et cetera, why are they white or white males, right? So that's when you see the disparity is actually systemic, meaning this, the system, the rules, the policies, the people have, are actually a machine that are producing disparity. Now the insidious, and I think the danger in America is that we see disparity in a lot of the conversation 
goes into a deficiency dialogue, which means like, hey, these people aren't doing as well. Let's fix them, right? So let's educate them. Let's give them charity. Let's give them diversity programs, mm, et cetera. Mm. And we do all these things to fix a few, right? We're fixing, improving people without attacking the thing that's causing the disparity, right? So that's how a company, I'll take, let's take it out of race because I think that that's a, a good, um, a good example would be Amazon, right? So Amazon announced, and I have stock in Amazon, right? So, I mean, I, I make money on Amazon. We get an Disclosure. Amazon package every day. Adrian has so like, stock in Amazon. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. when Amazon performs well, I perform well, and I use their service, right? Um, Amazon, I mean, no matter, you know, if half the stories aren't true, it's not a place that is a champion of mental health, mental wellness. I mean, some of the policies and the environment there, I mean, it's, it's noted it's researched their stories. So you don't have to look far. Right. But on one hand, they announced, Hey, we're going to provide mental wellness solutions for our, our employees. Right. So on one hand, you've got, Hey, we're going to help our employees. We're going to give you coaching and therapy to like help you during this time. So mental wellness program to fix you, but we're not dismantling the actual system that causes mental health to be an issue in our corporation. Right. So it's like, I see. Yep, I understand. I'll help you. I'll, here your individual here i'll help you but like what about the policies and the management style and the leadership that allows this to even be an issue and we're we're doing this all across america and i think that's the that's Mm. the challenge is it now you know after george floyd you know we're you know call it you know 19 20 months after you know that that horrible tragedy and now we're back to like pushing back against diversity. We're pushing back against equity. We're pushing back against some of these things. And so that's, that's mm-hmm. scary to watch as a parent and as a, you know, as a, a black guy in America, that's, that's tough. Why do you think it is so divisive, right? Because when I hear you describe everything that you just described, yeah. I go, well, yeah, we should make it better. We should yeah. change machines, you know, in systems or businesses yeah. or whatever that harm people, right? So going to the Amazon example, it's like, well, if the way the machine works harms people, and I know that it works that certain way because we want it to be productive, we want to make profits for our shareholders, we want to get you your package by tomorrow, all that kind of stuff. So if there's something broken with the machine, we should just fix it, right? That seems pretty simple. If there's something broken with a public policy, like we should just fix it. Yeah. That seems so like basic and common sense. But why do you think it's so divisive, <laughs> right? Why is it yeah. so political? Why is it so polarizing? I say this, this is an opinion of one, right? Like all our podcasts, two things. One is I don't think people see it as an issue. I think it's like smelt it, dealt it. If you talk about racism, you're the racist. Like we're happy here. So hey, don't talk about racism. In fact, by talking about the division, right? You're racist. Um, and so one thing Ooh, is this, this, yeah. this denial of like, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. I know yeah. I have black friends. I know black people who are successful. Adrian, you did all right. Racism doesn't exist. Right. And the other hand is that, you know, I think there's no incentive for the 80% of, you know, or 70% of white people who don't really have, you know, any black relationships. You have no incentive to, to do anything to help a minority group none like you, you you're, you're fine you can take care of your family there's not a fact yeah. like and so there's there's no reason for you to go out of your way to help there, there's no incentive in this life etc so like the the very concept of like 
really going out of your way to really dismantle a system that helps you, it benefits you, that you were born into. Yeah. It's not your yeah. fault. I, you didn't create it. You're just kind of born into it. Like, yeah. so yeah. the average white person has no incentive to do anything about hmm. racism, right? And so, you know, I think what Martin Luther King missed um, is that, you know, the whole push, right? And his um, nonviolent resistance, right? So it was actively resisting uh, policy. So even though it was nonviolent, it was actually re resisting. And his hope was that this moral love, this this universal love yeah. of people would be unlocked among white people who would say, that's wrong. Let's change it. Yeah. We're still waiting for that mm -hmm. moral love, that universal love, that charity yeah. from Christians and non-Christians alike to happen. And yeah. I think the challenge is, you know, I, I pulled, I went to my bookshelf. I was like, gosh, I'm, I'm tired of talking about race. I was like, I literally have a stack, right? It's like, okay, well, white people don't want to talk about race. So, hey, there's a book, White Fragility, where a social scientist breaks down, here's why you want to talk about it. Oh, well, no, okay, well, let's have a black person, because that was a white person. Let's have a black person tell you, hey, here's how to talk about race. Oh, no, 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 well, that's too radical. Okay, well, let's have a PhD of Ibram Kende give you the definitive history of racist ideas in America. So now you know that all these things that you think are are normal, they actually aren't. Like they, it was deliberate effort to make economic gain from racism. Mm. No, well, that's that's a little too much. It's too thick. Okay, okay, okay. Well, here's how to be an anti-racist. The same guy wrote a book about, hey, here's here's the definition of racism, and he shares his black stories. Well, he's too radical. I need somebody nice. Okay, well, let's get a nice black guy to explain to you uh, racism. So Emmanuel Ocho wrote uncomfortable yeah. conversations with. A black man, very nice, very accommodating. He never raises his voice. He is a nice black guy. Emmanuel, shout out to Emmanuel. Well, no, I need a white person. To, okay, well, let's have a white minister. <laughs> white awake, talk to you about, hey, faith and justice and how Jesus actually was a proponent of social justice. Well, let's not talk about faith. Okay, well, let's just talk about the Christians. Let's have a white person tell you. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Look, the whole point is anything. Like, I have a stack of books that tell you like how it exists, how like it's in, oh, why don't black people just like take care of themselves? Well, they did. They were red zoned out of the desirable neighborhoods. They were red zoned out of education. Mm -hmm. They Their yeah. banks were closed. They tried to uh, close the gap. Um, in faith, churches became the breeding ground for racism. And churches are some of the most segregated racist communities yeah. in our, like, and so the stats are like overwhelming when you look at like, yeah. and I'm reading it, but are white people reading this, right? And yeah. so I think the challenge is like, how do we like change that narrative? Yeah. So I guess to change well, the hold narrative- on, Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me ask you a question. Okay, though. go ahead then, y'all. We're gonna flip it. <laughs> the only book you didn't pull out of that stack was something that I could color in, like a children's <laughs> book, right? And it makes yeah. me think about like when I, when I reach the girls or when we watch a yeah. show together, they yeah. go to- every extent possible to show people of other colors yeah i even look back at like some of the children's books that my my mother-in-law gave our little girls they were written in like the 70s and you could see these efforts being made yeah right from like these old kids books of like trying to create inclusion you know think about sesame street and all that kind of stuff like it seems like that we've really made some efforts um you know when we look at like our programming for kids and stuff but for some reason, as adults, and I, this is the part that bothers me the most, is that group that you were talking about, specifically the white 
evangelical group, yeah. specifically yeah. in the South, they don't want to talk about it or they want to do exactly what you said and say, hey, it doesn't exist. And by you talking about it, you're just making it worse. Um, or when it is brought up in your church, there's all of a sudden all this hate email that's sent to your pastor. Yeah. Um, and it feels like that you have to tiptoe around it. It's like, why do I have to tiptoe around things that make you uncomfortable? Yeah. Did Jesus yeah. tiptoe around any of that stuff? Yeah. This is the part that bothers me the most because I think we as white Christians or you know, followers of Jesus, whatever you want to call yourself, we should be the first in line to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm in like, there's a broken system. Let me help you fix it. And it doesn't feel like to me, again, this is yeah. my one person opinion. It doesn't feel like there's a whole bunch of people lining up behind to say, Hey, let's fix this thing together. No, and matter of fact, there's a lot of people I can speak to the church I attend and the faith community I'm a part of here. And, uh, so I, I live in, you know, Keller, Texas. So I'm in North Tarrant County, uh, Texas, um, an area that's changing drastically, right? If you look at the stats, I mean, you know, uh, you know, large Hispanic population, uh, growing uh, African American population. So it's a, it's a, it's a literal melting pot. But it's also Man, the neighborhood area. is just falling apart. <laughs> yeah, but it's also an area where has and have nots. There are clear yep. divisions and fault lines, yep. and I think yep. you know it's just part of our challenge is that i think we assume that when you know white people marched and held signs that said black lives matter people put yeah. that black uh social media square. post up yeah. black square up yeah. and they donated and they talked about racism and yeah. they had a conversation with a black person they had a panel we thought they're in they're allies and what we found out starting probably last fall and then the election happened right so the political yeah. undercurrent has always been the bedrock, I, I think, of of a lot of the bias to, to really come out and yeah. flourish. Yeah. Was that no, it, it was a pushback. I was like, no, I was an ally that day, that week, that month. But now when it's time to actually like do something, lift a yeah. vote, a voice, uh, yeah. do something actual to benefit yeah. someone that doesn't look or pray or think or you know, have my background, there was a pushback. And now there's an equal and opposite push to stop talking about race, stop talking about mm. diversity and bias. Really? Yeah. in the church. Yeah. I mean, there's people who are, you know, wow. and they, they tend to be not, um, not exclusively, but they tend to be, um, over index and majority be, you know, white conservative Republican who, mm -hmm. you know, this country's working fine for me. I don't want to talk about that. And, you know, I think we, we've made progress. Let's leave that in the past. And so there's a pretty, you know, dramatic push to to really kind of I almost say go backwards. It feels like we want to go yeah. backwards. And that was a moment in time for allyship. Yeah. Now it's really talking about moving on. Nobody wants to repent. Nobody wants <laughs> to talk about forgiveness. Nobody wants to talk yeah. about how do we actually restore and, and, and change something. Mm -hmm. We want to kind of skip that middle. And that's the only thing I've there's no Bible. There's no story in the Bible where you get to skip skip ahead to repentance you could just skip ahead to restoration without going through that process of letting go of your god yeah. letting go of your idol letting go of yourself and so that's that's my fear is that i i don't know man i i don't see how these two like yeah. parts come together we just go back to the same way that it was in your yeah. mind okay so in an effort to be equal 
It's your turn to ask a question. Oh, yeah. So if you're listening or if you're watching, um, as you know, like when you're a black guy, you always represent all of black America when you talk. So on a podcast or if I'm on, you know, a, a video show, you know, I, the questions I get not literally represent black America, but, you know, um, I have to speak on behalf of black America. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, and let's be honest, yeah. too. The reason that that happens, like yeah. the real reason that happens is because there's one black guy in the office. It's true. Yeah, it's right. true. <laughs> it's I mean, like, even hey, look at like yeah. the office, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like Stanley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody has to be the Stanley, right? And so I'm yeah. like, we're going to flip that. So, you know, you, one person should not have to speak on behalf of their entire race. But today we're going to ask Daryl to speak on behalf of white America, right? Because he's white and he's an American. So, like, I want to put Daryl in the hot seat. Cause like black people, we're, we're tired of answering all the questions, sharing our black pain, our black tears. And then, you know, white people say, Oh, that's horrible. I got to do something. And then, you know, they go out and vote for Trump. Um, Oh, low blow, low blow. <laughs> we are going to talk about that though. So, Hey, Hey, like let's close off. Let's talk about, it. all right. My first question is right. I caught with a softball. Like, how is it possible for white people? Cause I know, you know, a lot of them, yeah, a few, <laughs> how is it possible after all we've been through, even in the last, call it three or four years, right? I mean, yeah. how is it possible to deny systemic racism exists? Like, mm. how does someone rationalize that? Like, how do you just mm. not see it? Um, I think my personal view on this would be that they have a lack of exposure and experience. They haven't traveled enough. Yeah. They haven't left their bubble. They don't have friends or people with refrigerator rights in their life that have had other experiences that inform them of that. I think that's the most basic answer. Yeah, that's good. Does that reflect on the people? I think that's true. Now, here's a question. Because we don't, I don't ever get to hear these conversations, right? So like, I hear about stuff, mm. but I have several friends who like have, they'll acknowledge, I got a racist grandma, I got a racist brother. It's yeah. just like, I know racist, racist people. You know, I got parents with like Confederate tattoos, right? So you're like, yeah, uh, okay. Like, do white people or do you, do white people really confront friends and family that express racist views or idea? Or do you mm. just kind of like, I'll stay quiet, but I, you know, like, do you really yeah. like, do you really confront and have a conversation or like, yeah. what, what is the typical response for a white person when you're around somebody yeah. you love that says like, yeah. those N words, yeah. <laughs> they should just shut yeah. up and dribble right like, like. <laughs> well I think the good news is for me at this point in my life I've self-selected the people that are around me on a consistent yeah. basis right and so yeah. the people that are immediately in contact with me and my family on a consistent basis that is not part of their language it's not part of their lexicon they wouldn't fit into that category right yeah but there are people that I grew up with there are family members that I grew up with that would fit into that space and I can tell yeah. you when I was a teenager, I didn't speak up, right? Because I was embarrassed. Um, I got up and left the, the environment or the space or like wherever we were at and walked away from it. But I didn't know what to do as a 15 or 16 year old and how to handle an uncle who's using the N-word at the dinner table. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like my grandfather or my dad probably should have handled that differently. Um, but I, I didn't know what else to do. So maybe I just left, you know, um, 
I think where I see it today is, is that there's some guys who maybe interact with me because of like the construction work that I'm doing or because of like a new part of town that I'm going to, uh, you know, and I've never met them before and we're doing work together or whatever. They'll use words like all the brothers. Yeah. Like all the brother, <laughs> all the brothers, like those old cars, right. Yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. like I, I drive an old truck and you know, somebody said, Oh, like the brothers, I bet love that. Right. Um, or you'll hear, um, that is a reference old, especially older white guys will say something like that. They'll say like, Oh man, you trade cars more than the brothers. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so like, there's this weird thing that they're hanging on to from like the sixties or seventies, I think where there was this connection between black men calling themselves brother and them making fun of that a little bit in a weird way. So they still call. And, and honestly, like, let's, let's be honest. Like I know what they're saying. Right. Yeah. 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 They're not using the N word, but it's their way of saying like the brothers. It's right? undercurrent there. Yeah. yeah, it's undercurrent there. Yeah. And so it's just like, I just removed myself from that conversation. Right. Yeah. I, but I'm not around people every day who are dropping the N word and using the N word. I think where I see it more commonly now in my life is in like the subtle nuances of racism. Yeah. You know, Jesus will speak about that a lot. So for you guys that don't know, my right hand, my business partner in our construction business is Hispanic. Um, he came across the border when he was 12 years old because his parents asked him to, um, they were here in the States. He didn't really have a choice in the matter. Um, and we're actually going through the immigration process with him right now, but because of him, I have a bunch of people in my life right now who are Hispanic and I'm showing up at birthday parties and <laughs> anniversaries yeah. and I'm yeah. the only white guy in the room. Right. And it's a lot of fun, but where they see racism pop up in their life is with, individuals like when when he goes to home depot for example yeah tell tell that story that's a good one yeah so um we were at we were actually at lowe's when this happened so i got a couple friends that work at lowe's so you're gonna have to hear this and you have to yeah. unlike this but um we had purchased a couple toilets and i put them out and we were putting them in the back of the dump trailer um and getting ready to pull out and the manager comes running out and he's like hey did you pay for those toilets and i was like yeah i was like i'm here every week you, you know me tim like yeah i paid for those toilets he's like can i see your seat and i was like yeah sure and i felt really off put that like this guy who sees yeah. me purchase stuff from their store every week would ask me to see a receipt right like i was bothered by that so i handed him their seat he's like oh okay go ahead and i looked at jesus and jesus could tell that i was like pissed and he was like daryl that's every day for me like of all the times we've come to lowe's that's the only time anybody's ever asked you to see a receipt and you feel upset yeah. about it He's like, I get asked that every day. And it made me settle back down into a spot of like, yeah, like I don't experience the same things that he experiences every day just because of the way he looks on the outside. Yeah. Like, isn't that crazy? It is. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah, so talent is you, take you walk around that. with that. Yeah. You, I mean, yeah. you, you, you can, like, he can either be pissed all day and enraged and be, he's an angry guy. Like, we don't hire him for the job or don't let him back in yep. our store. Or you can yep. just, you know what? let it go. That's them. I think yeah. most of us, especially minorities or black or brown people, you've been conditioned to do the latter. You're like, well, let me just, yep. let's just let it, let it go. And I'll, I'll do my thing. It's, it's tough though. Yeah. 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 And so I think the big takeaway for me in the last 20 some years of life has been, I need to surround myself 
with people that have very different experiences from me that came from yeah. very different backgrounds so that I can become more empathetic so that I can shape my view, my worldview differently. Um, I have no desire to show up in a place that looks exactly like me. Now, what I'll say is, is it's way more comfortable. Like I really love showing up in a place and everybody looks like me because it's like, Oh, I, you know, like it's easy, yeah. but it's not as interesting and it's not as good. And, you know, I have very different views on the world because my, my friend group and my uh, spheres of influence, they just, they look a different color. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> have, yeah. And, and also not just look a different color. Cause I think that that like puts us in pigeonholes us a little bit, but I yeah. think we all come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing too, that nobody talks about is, and it is connected to race in a way. Um, but the, yeah, I have friends of different ethnicities. Great. But I also have friends that scale the economic ladder differently. I mean, you and I both yeah. know guys that are getting close to the B word, you know, like, you know, as in billion, but you and I both know guys too, that, you know, are lucky to take home 30 grand a year and support their families on it. And so because of that, I think that has also shaped my, my view on things. In fact, I heard a word this weekend and it's kind of a new mantra for me. And it's that until everyone around me has what they need until yeah. everyone around me has what they need. And if you Love look that. around yeah. you and everybody already has what they yeah. need, like my, my personal opinion is, is that that's, a very wealthy, rich spot for you to be in. And so my circle right now, not everybody has what they need. And so it's yeah. my job to make a way and, and I'm going to use that advantage, right? Mm -hmm. I yep. have that advantage. I have that advantage because I have a different mindset because I was taught a different mindset. You know, my father, my grandfather taught me a different mindset. Not everybody had a father and a grandfather, right? Who had that same mindset. Um, I, I come from a situation where I look a certain way, right? I, I'm a, I'm a white dude who's semi-athletic, yeah. right? And I carry myself well. So people immediately trust me and I'm okay with their kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. I get a foot in the door <laughs> in a lot of spaces that, you know, I don't get asked for my receipt every time I go into a store, right? Yeah. Nobody cuts their eyes at me. Or if I show up at Harvard and I'm wearing a hoodie, Nobody, I, I bought my coffee this morning wearing a hoodie and nobody gave yeah. me a second look, right? Yeah. But they did to you at Harvard last year. Yeah. We talked about that in season yeah. one, right? So my job is to make a way for other people to help get them into spaces that they can't get into themselves. Maybe they need an introduction, whatever. And then if that doesn't cut it, I help them get what they need. If that means you need a car and I've got an extra car, boom, it's yours. Take yeah. it. No, permanently that take model. it. Yeah. You know, yeah. until everybody here around me has what they need. So it's messy. Is it going to be perfect? Is it socialist? Yeah, probably it's pretty socialist, but that's okay because I know that I can create what I need for my family and help others with that. So I love that model, right? Cause that's such a great, you know, if you're in business, it's a KPI, key performance indicator. If you're just Christian and in your faith walk, it's like, it's the servant leadership model that Jesus showed where it's like, he met our greatest need, which was salvation. But until he he purposely and deliberately interacted with people who didn't have what they need, and he gave them love, he gave them truth, gave them salvation, but he also gave them food. He also gave them water. He also gave them guidance and friendship, right? And um, wow, that's such a great 
I think model for, I think a path forward that all of us can take. You don't need to wait for a policy change. You don't need to wait for a mm -hmm. March. You don't need to wait for, you know, a new job or anything to change to start adopting that now. So I think that that's such a really cool, I think model. Uh, so question for you, right? Here's a question that like, yeah, man, like black is this people, a white question or is this oh, just a general this is a question? white question? <laughs> this is my last white question. This is the one like, I'm trying to rec I'm trying to reconcile this, right? This is my last okay. white on behalf of yeah. black America to white America. All right, let's talk about, cause you can see this trend, right? It happened like there's Sarah Palin, the Palin, Palin politics, you're like, oh, that's crazy. And then there's Trump and the birtherism. So you saw like as Obama, right, started to come into political power and office, you saw this violent pushback against all these things that he kind of stood for and that hope that he championed kind of just became like deformed. And so like as a black person watching that, so 2016, right? We're like, we, we, we told y'all about Trump. Like, of course he was racist, sexist, like xenophobic. Like, he was all these terrible things that like aren't new to anybody, right? And then of course you fast forward and you know, the election last, last uh, fall where, you know, like the world almost fell off his axis and we're watching as like millions of people, especially black America, you're like, how could they vote for him again? Like, yeah. I, and so our minds are blown. Our hearts were honestly broken, right? I mean, that was tough to yeah. watch that. Like, yeah. after all we've been through together, like millions of people still voted for this man. And like, you know, and so mm -hmm. I, I get it. So I'm speaking from the heart. I'm not trying to speak PC, but I'm just saying like, man, like voting for a guy that's racist doesn't make you racist. Um, Maybe it makes you okay with racism or like, Vote like voting for Biden doesn't make me like an advocate for abortion, does it? So I, I get it. There, there's a bias for me, but I guess, man, I, I think I'm just trying to rationalize and figure out mm -hmm. how could so many people vote for somebody that is so outwardly racist after mm -hmm. championing a president who stood for so many things that were sacred to democracy? Like, how do how does that happen? Like, is there something black people need to do to like yeah. help convince white people? Like what, what do we do? Cause after that, honestly, we're like, look, there's nothing else we could do. The white people going to do what they going to do. Like yeah. how, how did that happen? Right. And like, you know, just like, what do we do? Cause I think Trump was the pivot point that yeah. almost opened Pandora's box. And like, I don't think we can ever go back to before that. It's, it's just tough. I think your mindset is focused on race your mindset yeah. is focused on fairness your mindset is focused on um taking care of other people right that's adrian yeah unfortunately i think most people's mindset is on self-preservation and you know so the guys around me who were big trump supporters were um afraid of afraid of the other side Right. So, you know, whether that's, Hey, I'm afraid of democratic policies for whatever reason. Um, I think a lot of it is smoke and mirrors, right. But they're afraid of whatever that is. I think the other thing is, is that really wealthy individuals are afraid of policy changes that would affect their income. Right. Like I had a bunch of folks around me four years ago who were super excited because they felt like, okay, the stock market is going to do well. 
Um, my 401k is going to do well. Um, and I think that people can put up with a lot of bull crap if they look at their investment account and it's doing really well. Right. Um, if, if gas is cheap and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and again, that's all about self, right? It's self-preservation. Um, I think for most of guys like me who were on the bubble, who had traditionally voted very conservative in the past, um, it, enough was enough, if that makes sense, right? Where what happened is, is that there were a group of white males in this election who typically had voted red, but voted blue this time because we said it was just a matter of character. Like we had had enough, right? Like, and it was our fault. Like four years ago, we heard all the stuff about, you know, grabbing women by the private parts. We, you know, yeah, like the list is so we, long. You're like, yeah. we knew about the fact that his current children were with a mistress that he had while he was cheating on his second wife. Right. Yeah. Like we, we knew all of that kind of stuff. And as conservative white Christian males, we said, ah, nah, he's some chosen one and it's okay. And we, we put all that aside. And I think what happened is, is that four years after that decision, and, and, and you'll hear this pe people say this a lot, right? Well, it was the best of the worst choices, right? Or compared yeah. to whoever it is, like, yeah. you know, and we've got a lot of friends in politics. So they'll say, well, four years ago, they didn't put forth a good candidate, right? That's another argument. But I think in this last election cycle, I was just tired. I was tired of the poor character. And as a father of two girls, little kids, like I had to look at them and say like, character is important. Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely saw what your character was like when you lost, right? Like I grew up being taught yeah. to take the L, right? If I lose, I have yeah. to walk across the field and shake hands, have to walk across the court and tell the other guy, good game. And instead you came up with some phony BS about a stolen election, right? And what I find so fascinating is that the black church was not talking about a stolen election and the black church has had no problem, you know, um, moving forward. It just seems to be, again, white conservative, conservative evangelicals that have really had the most problem with this. And so I think for me, again, I can't speak for everybody, although you'd like me to speak for all yeah, white people. You are white <laughs> American. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it, it comes down to self-preservation. Yeah. It comes down to being afraid of what the other side is going to do. And, you know, you can trace that back for a lot of reasons, you know, whether it's ad dollar spend or political pundits or people putting politics in the pulpit, you can, you know, trace a lot of that back, but I think it just comes down to fear, to be honest with you. That's good, fear. man. So how do we, um, as we put our landing gear down and close this episode, what's next? What do we do? Well, I think your question has often yeah. been like, how do we find healing? How do yeah. we find repentance? How do we find reconciliation? Um, I think the world has to look at things through the lens of I am not first. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm second. If I put myself in a second position, if I put others first, if I put others cares and needs ahead of my own, um, it becomes easier. Uh, yeah. Um, I, it bothers me when our biggest concern is not teaching critical race theory, right? Like, yeah. our biggest concern should be like, are we taking care of kids that are coming out of 
homes and families that they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They don't know if their stuff's going to be on the sidewalk when they come home. They don't know if their parents are going to send them to church so that they can stay home and do meth. Like, I think if we were really concerned about that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. over yeah. critical race theory or being transgender or whatever that is, like these are diversions from the stuff that really matters at the end of the day. So for me, I think let's just get refocused on Adrian's needs are more important than my own. It's just really simple. Um, and I think that will Good. start to bring us together. Um, and we hear this all the time, like, okay, I'm going to listen. If you just listen, you know, you'll help to heal. I, I think it's true, but you can only listen to people that have a different opinion. If you work to have people in your life that have a different opinion <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or come right. from a different background. But to your point earlier, if like everybody looks like you and they sound like you and they have the same economic standing that you do, you're never going to have a diversity of thought or opinion in your life. And so you're never going to change. So yeah. I just ask you, like, who are you surrounding yeah. yourself with that has a different opinion? Hmm. It's good. It's good. It, I reflect on, you know, the, call it the tale of two white dudes. Um, <laughs> around the same time last year, I had, you know, it's a series of conversations and breakfast with two, uh, two older white guys, right? So who you describe, like white, um, probably, I think, you know, 70 or older, conservative, church leader, strong faith, people who had, you know, resume of leadership, mentorship, and discipleship, right? Yeah. Like, so good Christian, solid white guys. And I think, you know, we'll call them Bob and Ben, you know, for, for the sake of this quick story. Bob, you know, we sat across having pancakes and Bob cries as he admits that he's racist. He admits mm. that based on the definition of racism that actually we shared last year on this podcast, he said, Based on that, I'm racist. And yeah. he admitted it. He actually submitted to going through um, this nine-week course that me and my wife had a chance to be a part of, Latasha Morris and Be the Bridge. We, we spent weeks going through racist racism, but we went through the lens of a biblical perspective, restoration, redemption, uh, um, repentance. Uh, how do we like replicate like nine weeks praying together, like going through this process? And then he committed. Yeah to change right and so the same guy who you know who grew up around family who had racist ideas that he didn't even really know was racist right when they talked about it he expressed racist ideas to his kids right when they were growing up and now he's saying well no kids we need to think about the facts yeah. think about yeah. the structures right why yeah. did george floyd you know like you know why didn't he just comply right and and, and so well he did right and so he has now has a language he, he's not like totally not racist. None of us will ever be totally zero yeah, percent racist, yeah. but he's actively working against the system and he's doing it right where he is, right? In his community, yeah. he's still a church leader. And so that's Ben, right? The tell it to white dudes, Bob, that's Bob. Bob was able to like, like make a change. Yeah. And here's Ben. Should we, should we be like Bob, by the way? We should be like Bob, right? Okay. And so it's actively saying, hey, there's something, a part of me that I need to change. It's hard. I mean, he's, this is a grown man crying over his pancake saying like, yeah. this is a hard thing to reconcile, but he started to make those moves and change. Now, is he perfect? No, does he, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that we talk about. You're like, well, you can't really see it like that, but he's open. He submitted to being mentored by a black guy. He submitted yeah. to learning. Then you go to Ben. Ben is just as successful and uh, recognized and, and, you know, in his community. But he denies kind of racism exists on a broad level. 
Um, he defends the status quo. You know, he's he has race. He has a racially diverse family. Right. So he, he has black people in his world. So he can't be racist, um, but he pretends to be an ally. But when it's time to do something, I don't have time to really go to that course to learn more about racism. I don't I'm not going to read that book. I don't know about all this CRT. I don't like. And so he's unwilling to commit to actively being anti-racist because he can't see himself as, as having a racist. a racist part of him because yeah. being racist means he's bad or evil. Yeah. And yeah. he doesn't see that racism is just a bias that can be changed. Yeah. Like your brain can, your brain is built to learn. You could change and evolve. And so you've got Bob who admitted to change. You had Ben, right. Who said, I'm not even aware of racism in myself because look at all these things I've done. Look, see, I can't be yeah. racist. Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the tell two white dudes, it's, hard to be bob because that takes um transparency authenticity and that takes honestly like your ego has to has to be set aside yeah you've got to be super humble to be able to do that right yeah that takes and so does that scale i don't know i, I think I it's just know. conversations that have to happen and so i, I think part but, of my challenge is you know you can't scale that into a podcast that's got to be like uh experience and only god can do that yeah, I don't disagree with you, but I think it's scalable within the group that we're talking to right now, right? Yeah. So as yeah, we yeah. talk like specifically to men and hopefully men of faith, right? Like that is scalable. Yeah. And if you say that you follow Jesus in the way of this, you know, ancient Hebrew Messiah, like I think it's it's like right in front of us, right? Like social justice was part of the thread of everything he's teaching. He's teaching to a bunch of poor people and he's talking about hope and joy and bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Like that is so doable within the core group that we're talking to. Like you and I aren't trying to change the whole world. We're just talking specifically to guys around us and saying like, Hey man, if if you say you love and follow Jesus, like, I think that like we've got to do a better job of loving on the guy beside us. Yeah. And especially if the he other, comes from yeah. A, yeah, if he comes from a different setup than you do, right? If he yeah. looks different and he has some different cultural behaviors and and you and I both know this specifically like if you come from a cer- certain socioeconomic background, you walk up into a room and behave a little bit different because you haven't been taught how the game is played. So you know what? Be a little bit more gracious to that guy. And bring him alongside you and say, like, hey, like, here's kind of how this whole thing works. Let me help. Right. Like that is yeah. that is scalable. And I think if you have that mindset, you're going to look for opportunities every day to try to figure it out. Let me tell you a funny story that happened yesterday. So I'm uh, I'm going out to the work van and um, I had to get something out of the van uh, and I'm taking it into Jesus. And we both turn around and there's this moment like this. I hear a bunch of like cussing and like kind of yelling back and forth and i hear this voice that says renee just leave me alone i'm tired of all your bs and i look up and it's like and it's so stereotypical right like it's this this couple and they're he's walking away from her and she's yelling at him and he's trying to get away right well he happens to be black and she's white and they're having like relational issues that are terrible, right? Yeah. Like, and they're having it out. And he turns and he makes eye contact with me and he says, Look, 
you got people watching this, Renee. <laughs> and like, it was, it was like awkward. Yeah. And I just kind of stood there. Right. And then I turned and got what I needed out of the van and I turned back around and he's standing at the van and he's like, yo, Hey man, listen, you saw what happened there, right? Like I'm trying to walk away. So if the cops show up, I need you to yeah. say that I was walking away. I said, Hey man, my name's Daryl. What's your name? He's like, my name's Gerald. I said, Gerald, I'm just going to be real honest with you. Like, that does not seem like a healthy relationship, right? <laughs> and he was he was like, well, when it's good, it's good, and blah, 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 blah. That's awesome. And I said, you know, I said, listen, Gerald, I got you. Like, if the cops show up, like, from what I saw, man, you are trying to, to walk away from this. But I said, like, to be real with you, like, this doesn't seem like a really healthy relationship with you. And we talked for a little bit yeah. longer, you know, whatever. And it was like this crazy interaction where I think most of us in that moment want to run away. Like, yeah. we do not want to see the couple fighting, especially an interracial couple where the, the guy is black and the lady is white. Yeah. Like, we don't want to see that on the side of the road. But at the same time, it was like, man, I, I got you. Like, yeah. I get it because he's going to be stereotyped, right? Like, if yeah. the cops show up. Oh, yeah, we, we all know how that. Yeah, that. that yeah, we can all fast forward and see how, how that could potentially go. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, like. I kind of just hung out for a while, you yeah. know, to see what happened and, and it resolved itself. But yeah, man, I'm in, I'm in for the long haul, right? You're going to see me at 80 still, you know, fighting for and advocating and having the conversations yeah. and, you know, hopefully changing hearts and minds of guys that look like me, you know, around yeah. me. And listen, man, I think whenever we in this life and we get to whatever heaven is going to be right. Or heaven is here on earth. I think we're asked, um, I, I think we're going to be asked, how did we love people? I don't think we're going to be asked about a theology. I don't think yep. we're going to be asked about our doctrine. We're definitely not going to be asked about who we voted for. We're just going to be asked about, like, hey, did you, did you love people? I think that's what we're going to be held accountable for at the end of the day. Yeah. So that's my goal. Until everyone around me has what they need. I think that is such a simple but profound way to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And that just becomes our roll call. And every day it's like, look around me. Do they have what they need? And is there something I can do to help? I think if we just adopt that just today and every morning ask yourself that, that I think that, that gets us, man, so much further than where we are today. I love that. Well, and we get so jazzed up about the early church, right? Like we all go back to, especially yeah. as believers, we're like, oh man, I just want to be like those Acts churches, right? Where they, they had everything that they they needed and nobody was in want. Well, they also had an Eastern mindset and the Eastern mindset is in community. We have such a Western mindset that's all about individuality and self-identity and those kind of yeah. things. And so I think it's about adopting a mindset that says, Hey, I'm a part of a community. Um, I'm, I'm individually responsible for things, but I'm also part of a community that has to take care of each other, if that makes sense. So. What I love too is that if everyone around you, because we're taught in business and hustle culture, like we're working, we're, we're you know we're industry and commerce, it's like you know you're you know the average of the five people around you, and so you want to yeah. And it's like Jesus did the exact opposite. Jesus like tried to lower his average and said like, if there people around me have what they need, my circle's too small. So he kept expanding his circle so yeah. that he was always around people who didn't have what they need because there's always something to provide. And so that's such. Yeah he was so radically inclusive women foreigners orphans yeah. like it didn't matter yeah. who you pray to 
yeah, let's talk about it. And so yeah. that's such a radical notion. I, I, I just love that idea of like having people around you who don't have what they need. And then as they do, add some more to it. And that's, yeah. to me, that, that's such a great kind of blueprint of, I think, what the gospel in action looks like. And I see yeah. Jesus was justice perfected. Jesus was justice and truth and rightness. He's a very yeah. epitome of that. Um, it's such a, a noble goal, but I think it's doable if you kind of take on that mindset. But what's the fear, right? Everybody's yeah. fear is going to be, well, I'm going to get taken advantage of, or yeah. I'm just going to give away everything that I have and I'm not going to have anything left. Yeah. Like Johanna had a, had a real situation um, in the last couple of weeks where she literally gave a woman in our community money who said she had cancer. Well, my buddy's a cop in town and he's like, hey, have you ever had an interaction with this woman? She's going around town yeah. telling people she has cancer, collecting money. I'm like, yep, Johanna actually sent her money. Yep. You know, just sent her, right? just got a check. <laughs> and Johanna and I both just laughed and said, you know, like, that's not what we're responsible for. Like we're only responsible for our generosity and how we love people. Yep. I'm not responsible for somebody else's lies or their misuse or them taking advantage of my trust. I'm not responsible for that, but I am responsible for did our family help fill a need, whether it was real, whether it was real or not. Right. Like we're just, we're going to choose to be generous and err on that side. I love that. Yeah. I want to get Calfee. Even so, if you don't have cancer, <laughs> hit me up. Yeah, yeah, y'all hit Daryl up. You got any needs? Um, I love that, man. Well, dude, I have enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully, um, you enjoyed your time on the uh, hot seat answering Black America's questions uh, as well. Oh, but yeah. I, I, I learned actually learned something from you, and we've been talking about race for a while. So now I, I appreciate your candor, but also appreciate yeah. I think your conviction that. You know, this is something yeah. worth being dedicated to. I love that. Yeah, it is, because I love you. Yeah. Same here, bud. All right. Have a good day, bud. All right. Bye. Peace. Hey, guys, this is DC, and this was the Unfollow Podcast. We hope you like what you heard today. And if you didn't, that's okay. There's 100,000 other podcasts you can choose to subscribe to. But if you like this one, do us a favor and subscribe or share it with a friend.